Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Be Here Now, a special online conversation with Andy Burnham, Mayor of Greater Manchester. So this event is part of the Urban Transport Next series of conversations, which features a live online audience on the topics that will help shape the future of urban transport. These conversations are hosted by Urban Transport Group, which is the UK's network of city region transport authorities, of which Transport for Greater Manchester is a member. The Urban Transport Group's job is to ensure transport can play its full part in making our city regions greener, fairer, happier, healthier, and more prosperous. It sounds good to me. So I'm Laura Laker, a journalist who specializes in active travel and urban transport, and I am delighted to be speaking today with Andy Burnham. Um, before we start, there will be an opportunity for the audience to pose some questions. So you can stick those in the Zoom question box and they will be picked up towards the end of the conversation. You can also join the conversation on Twitter using the handle at UTG underscore UK and the hashtag UTG next. So that's all the social stuff. And without further ado, welcome Andy Burnham. Thanks very much, uh, Laura. And can I just say thank you to everybody for, for tuning in. It's great that you've given us a bit of your time. These are exciting times for public transport in Greater Manchester, but it's great obviously to get your feedback and suggestions about what more we might do. So just sorry to say that, Laura, at the, at the start. Of course, of course, great. Yeah, great. It's great that you're excited about them. There is, yeah, there is a lot of exciting stuff happening in Manchester. And of course, your devolution deal, which we'll get on to. But I think we wanted to start with getting to know you a bit. Um, you've been mayor of Greater Manchester since 2017. Yeah. Um, and you, like Sadiq Khan, have decided to run for a third term. And I just wonder sort of what what makes you what makes this job like still exciting for you and, and you feel that you've still got something to, to do? I don't know if it comes over, but I love it. I love the job <laughs> in a way that I never kind of felt I could fully be myself in Westminster. I, I, I do feel you can be yourself in this job. I, I do think people have kind of probably seen the, the real me a, a little bit more. And, and the reason being, it's obviously um, a, a kind of place-based role. And, you know, it's place first rather than party first. And the thing about that is it just frees you up to operate in a very different, in a very different way. Um, and you can really then sort of speak to the kind of pride that people have in this in, in this place, in this great city where I am speaking to you from now. Um, and when you start to then think about improvements, it's it's just such a rewarding thing. You know, I know people here deserve better transport. And when you're kind of on the cusp of delivering some improvements, it, it's just a brilliant thing. You know, it, it really matters to people. It makes a difference to people's lives. It's kind of more tangible, perhaps, than some of the things that, that you can do in Westminster. So, yeah, I, 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 I love the role. Um, it's got a sort of symmetry for me uh, as well, Laura, in terms of my life coming full circle, because I can remember very well as a teenager, uh, the cherished orange and white buses of Greater Manchester, GM buses, uh, being taken away, taken off us, and uh, uh, something else coming in that was much more expensive and not as good. Uh, so kind of being in the position to sort of, you know, then bring that back to a better system, it's a bit like life life coming full circle for me. Yeah, and you, yeah, because there were 830 services being run by 30 operators using 150 ticket types or something, and it was four quid for a single journey compared with 155 in London. So there's a huge difference. And um, I wonder what your kind of experience of 
traveling in greater manchester by public transport is and and even walking and cycling yeah so i do uh, i always have been actually a public transport uh, user and it's if i'm if i'm honest it's frustrating at, at times um where i live in greater manchester is just uh on the edge towards the edge anyway in the wigan borough so i live in a place called goldborn uh i would catch a train ordinarily. I do catch a train a lot from Newton Lee Willows, which is just outside Grace Manchester, but that, that would be my route into work. And so, yeah, it's been it's been a, a hard one in, in recent times. The trains have not been where they should be uh, for all of the years that I've been been mayor. And that's that's uh challenging at times, frustrating. Um, more time is spent traveling than should be spent. Um that said, uh, there are you know really good parts of our public transport system. So, you know the the tram system I'm really proud of. It, it works really well, and and because of the nature of it, is an easy to use system at street level. You know, so in some ways you could say public transport in Greater Manchester has some of the best bits of public transport in the, in the country, but sadly also some of the worst. And it's the lack of join up I think that makes kind of commuting by only public transport, something of a, a frustrating experience for, for our residents. However, you, you speak to me in a good week, Laura, because we will be making a major announcement on Friday about a new fare structure for Greater Manchester that is uh, bus and tram integrated. Um, so, yeah, things are changing. They're changing quickly now as we head towards the start of the B network in September. Can you tell us a bit, a bit more about that? Is it going to be a sort of one card tap in, tap out system? So ultimately, we're going to get to um, by the sort of point where we have the full B network, which will be on the 5th of January 2025. I, I'm always very specific because I always want TFGM to know that I know the dates and I'm holding everybody to, to the dates and all the, all the operators as well. But that is the day when we will have completed uh, the re-regulation of buses. Um, and then there will be full integration with uh, trams at that point from a ticketing point of view. So at that point, it will be a tap-in, tap-out system with a daily cap on, on what people can spend, so on, on the London model. But what I will announce on Friday is an interim solution for the, um, uh, uh, well, what, what is it now, sort of... Um, 18 months or so be, before we get to that to that full point. So we'll be moving towards an, an integrated uh, range of tickets that people will be able to use, which will actually cut the cost of public transport quite significantly in Greater Manchester. Uh -huh. So more like the kind of oyster, move towards the, more like the oyster system in London? More like that. Um, these will be uh, pr products that could be purchased via the B Network app when it when it launches. So, um, but, but not if you like, um, a sort of not not with a situation where people can build up to the cap. If you, if you understand what I'm saying, you know, you'd have to buy it at the price okay. rather than uh, you know have a cap system. But, but but that's where we're heading to. We're heading to a a London a London model. Right, you had it here first. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's still a ticket for now, but it's it's yeah you're building up. To yeah, it. for for now. Yeah, but it's it's it is it is very much uh, interim, and you know we are going to be in a sort of a kind of halfway house position for the next couple of years. So I think people will have to be a little patient with us. So the B network, as I say, will launch in September. On Friday, we will also um, 
set out plans for the next stage, tranche two. So it's the second part of the city region to be uh, to be uh, franchised, and that uh, that process will conclude in um, March twenty four. Oh, yeah. So and then finally in early twenty twenty five in the south of the city region. So that's you know that's the process that we're on now, and it will be a slightly mixed picture. There'll be a lot of lot of yellow around, um, but won't be completely yellow until uh, uh, till till, till uh, early in the early in the new year. I think we should uh, we should suddenly make ask Coldplay for use of their their, their song, shouldn't we? Oh, you know, yeah. be there, it's all yellow. I think that's that's definitely going to be the uh, <laughs> the the, uh, the catchphrase. Where where are they based? You could get them on top of one of the buses if you've got an open top one. Yeah. <laughs> Good idea. Um, I, I was actually thinking though, just to bring the B network to life. I was wondering whether I might get uh, Liam Gallagher to do the next stop announcements. I think that would be uh, that would be a pretty unique thing, wouldn't it? You know, you would do that. I mean, I don't know him, but why wouldn't you? <laughs> he'd really get his you know Pomona when he'd really he'd really be able to like get his lips around the, some of the some of the names on the tram the tram stops <laughs> if he's listening then um yeah you know he knows where to find you he does he does there's a gig waiting for him right there amazing um so I remember when the um when uh you had Chris Boardman as your cycling walking commissioner originally and you launched the B network and at the time it was the walking and cycling network yeah and I wonder if uh, how that kind of came to be and how it was it your intention at the start to incorporate all, all public transport within that system? Did that come later? Well, I'm glad you've mentioned Chris because Chris was huge actually in the development of our thinking uh, with relation to, to the B network. He, he first proposed it um, for just the cycling and walking element. Um, he um, I think we originally thought B lines, and then, but anyway, complicated reasons. Came, yeah. Came the B network, um, but what Chris did, I think people weren't expected when he came in that he would just be about cycling and, and quite a, you know sort of narrow focus. But Chris was always really clear that uh, he wanted to sort of uh, put active travel at the heart of a system that was about moving differently, moving in, in better ways, and. You know, very much um, focused on you know the average kind of twelve-year-old, or you know, and and it, or a mum with a double buggy. So we kind of he at the start of the active travel B network, Chris was very much about how everyday people living their lives, and you just facilitate different movement. But he started to sort of develop his thinking. So well, we need to you know make this sort of first mile, last mile, and then you know better public transport in the middle. So that's how our kind of thinking developed. And at the last mayoral election, I asked Chris to take on a bigger role with regard to kind of transport more broadly. Um, and he then helped me bring this concept of the, the B network into, into being. So yeah, I definitely would want to pay tribute to, to Chris here today uh, because you know we, we've really sort of gone from a place where it, it was a very fragmented, difficult picture when when I arrived in 2017 and we've gone from there to having quite what I would say is quite a compelling and clear vision for transport in the city region which when you add uh, trains into the mix as we hope to do by the end of the decade you know you will have a you know a model of public transport outside of London that I think will um will, will be 
the envy of a lot of other other places. Yeah, and of course, because I think quite often in the UK, we think about transport in quite siloed ways. Um, yeah. Forgetting that actually we need to be able to get to the bus and the train stations. And so those walking and cycling journeys are incredibly important if, if we're sort of trying to reduce. Massively so. I think transport, you know, does need to um, kind of reflect on this as a, as a sort of sector. Um, it's too siloed in my experience. You know, and I think that's just the way transport in England has been, isn't it? You know, people have one kind of focus, be it bus or rail, or and, and it needs to be more of a place focus. Transport needs to think place first much more. Transport is there to support places. It's not there for its own sake, is it? It's there to, you know, bring a, a place to life and to support the workings of a, of a place. And yet it really often doesn't think in a place-based way. Um and in a joined up way between the different sectors. And even within, you know, one, even within rail, it can be too siloed because, you know, very project focused and, you know, not, not seeing the bigger picture uh, sometimes. So I, 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 um, I, I was very big in calling for integration of health and social care when I, when I was the health secretary and kind of making sure that, you know, people understand the interdependencies between uh, you know, different parts of, of systems. I think transport needs to go on its own integration journey and it needs to become much more, much more think, thinking holistically about transport at the first opportunity rather than, you know, the, the different, you know, roads, rail, you know, light rail, the, the, all of that. So, um, yeah, I, and I, I hope what we're doing in Great Spanish might, might develop some of that, that, that thinking and that yeah. different way of approaching it. Yeah, and we'll come on to the your your trailblazer devolution deal, and um, I think that also applies to um, housing and um, a new development. Yeah, it definitely does. It def I think we need something of the Dutch mentality, don't we? I think the Dutch have always had a really clear kind of multimodal kind of approach, you know, integration at the heart of everything, and then how that then supports strong places and opens up opportunity to regenerate regenerate places. You're, you're absolutely right. You know, we need to start thinking now about zero carbon public transport linked to zero carbon homes in the heart of some of the towns that have felt neglected in the past. How do we really then sort of take a vision of fu the future uh, to, to places uh, that, 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 um, that need support? And what I notice in Greater Manchester is it, it's regeneration is so obviously linked to transport the places with the best transport links are the ones that are much hotter from a property and regeneration point of view. And so the B network, hopefully, if, the beauty of it, if it really works, is that effectively everywhere is better connected immediately. And therefore, the regeneration potential of transport would be felt in many, many more places uh, almost overnight. Yeah. And um, perhaps we'll, um, we'll come on to the trailblazer devolution deal now, because... Um, Manchester and um, Greater Manchester, I should say, and the West Midlands are the two regions that are getting this kind of trailblazer devolution deal. And part of that is about the fact that actually with comparable city against comparable cities in Europe, Greater Manchester is not performing economically in the way that um, in the way that its, its counterparts do. And transport is part of that. And obviously transport is not the only part of this deal. But um, could you just sort of uh, Tell us what the um, deal means for Greater Manchester and specifically for transport. Yeah. 
I think just on um, our performance, economic performance, you're, you're absolutely right, Laura, to say that, um, you know, compared to other other second cities, counterpart cities, sorry, sorry, Andy Street, I think we've we've got that crown and we've taken it off you. Birmingham, uh, <laughs> Manchester, face uh, off. <laughs> <laughs> Always. <laughs> Actually, we got on very well, but uh, I, um, I, I think... What's going on here at the moment is is really quite quite something in terms of uh, the UK context. We are growing faster than the UK economy here. The skyline of Manchester has changed dramatically, actually, in in recent in recent times. So, yeah, there's, there's loads of good things happening. But you're right; we need to go to the next level as a as a as a major major city region on a more international scale. Uh, and the Trailblazer will help us. So, in terms of transport. Um, the main thing that I was keen to land in it is the ability to create what I would call TFGM overground or you know, to mirror TFL overground in, in London or, or B-network overground, bringing obvious commuter lines into our, into our integrated system, even if they originate slightly outside Greater Manchester, if they're a line that is serving the Greater Manchester commuter economy, um, that we would be able to have them be network branded, obviously, hopefully, um, co-run or you know with ourselves with a, with an influence over over services as well, but very much part of the ticketing uh, system. So let's say if you live in Buxton and you currently commute from there on that line in, into Greater Manchester. When you tap in in Buxton, you'll be tapping into the Greater Manchester capped system. So that is more a vision for the second half of this decade, a 2025 to 2030 vision. But we will be saying more about that on Friday as well, actually. Uh, we've been working closely with Network Rail on that. And you know, after a lot, as I say, a lot of kind of sense of railways here being in decline, it's nice to be able to start talking about a positive vision for the railways. It would be very risky, actually, for the railway industry to see an integrated B-network system build up in terms of bikes, bus and tram, and then the rail sector to be outside of it, because I think it would, you know, it would look like an outlier, wouldn't it? So it's really important that we get a strong B-network offer from the rail industry, and we're, we're very much very much working on that now. Yeah, and I know that you've been very unhappy at times with the rail, the um, performance of the of the rail in and around Manchester. Yeah, yeah, that's probably an understatement. I think, Laura, <laughs> so you're being very diplomatic there. Well, it's just not been anywhere near good enough. Let's just say it as it is. It's been appalling, frankly, at, at times. You know, the damage to people's lives, businesses, you know, has been significant, um, and hopefully. Uh, as I say, we're, we're coming through that that period. It, it was very good news that um, TransPennine Express, um, under operator of last resort, signed a rest day working agreement with Aslef last week. I think that was went a little bit under the radar in terms of the news, but for, from our point of view, that's a really positive development. Northern trains were the story going back a few years, but they've got progressively better in recent times. So we hope the same now will happen with, with uh, TPE. Uh, obviously, Avanti West Coast, um, better, but I don't. I would say not good enough. Still, uh, I don't think the standard of customer service is is anything like it should be. The journey between London and the, as I say, the second city should be an easy one, a seamless one. It should, and it and it isn't still. Um, so, definite work to be done. But I I do think now that the rail industry. Finally, you can see how it might 
come into a in, into a better place. Uh, and I'm really glad, actually, that with both of our main operators under operator of last resort, we do have a chance now to reshape the railway of the north of England. I've recently taken on the chair of the Rail North Committee. Uh, and so, you know, I'm not just, you know, my purpose is not just to whinge at, at the industry or hold them to account, which I do have to do, but actually now to start saying, well, come on, let's shape this thing and make it work better for the north of England. So uh, maybe we're moving into a more positive phase and certainly not before time. And um, of course, uh, part of the um, solution that part of the problem you're trying to solve is one of um, of air quality. I know, and I know the um, the charging zone was a saga in Greater Manchester, and that's now a non-charging clean air zone. And I wonder if um, you could tell us a bit more about the approach to improving air quality and how it differs from approaches taken elsewhere, and whether it goes far enough. Yeah, that's been a, a difficult debate, as people might might know. So it's currently actually on hold because we have argued for a non-charging zone and the government still wants us to model a charging clean air zone basis. How does that work in practice, a non-charging zone? Well, it would be um, a scheme based on incentives. So if you were to monitor the areas where there are exceedances and you know the vehicles that are going through those areas and are contributing, you would obviously then target some incentives at the people who were uh, in, in many ways causing the issue. Um, the schemes in Coventry, they had the mobility credits that you could switch in your car for, um, say, uh, bus passes or cycle, cycle hire. We had some funding, but it just wasn't enough because um, the cost of compliant vehicles has, has increased significantly uh, post-pandemic. So has wait, the waiting time for them. And, and we were just clear, myself and the 10 leaders, that it wouldn't have actually worked because it would have just hit people with the charges. People wouldn't have been able to change vehicles because they either couldn't afford them or couldn't get them. And hence, um, and, hence we asked for it to go, go under review. I, when you ask me about what our um, approach would be, personally, I think the B network will do more to improve air quality than, than any a clean air zone would have would have done because obviously if you get more people using public transport you're dealing with particulates as well not just uh, nitrogen dioxide we we have a huge number of electric buses on order uh, at uh, alexander dennis in falkirk i went up to see them myself recently um you know the 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 change to our buses is going to be quite quite spectacular really in terms of uh, the, the rollout of franchising. So I think that will do a lot uh, to deal with um, air pollution in our in our boroughs actually. Um, so there's at least 50, but probably a lot more electric buses going into service in Wigan and Bolton in, in September, uh, you know, overnight. And that will do a lot to improve air quality in that borough. But also obviously if people are using public transport more rather than driving, that will also um, have an impact on the level of particulates in the air yeah. so that's i mean i that's where I, I i just to make a sort of broader point if i could laura i would worry about kind of an approach to net zero where we're kind of almost kind of whacking people with a big stick to try and get get us there. i was going to ask you about the stick element actually because it seems to be the kind of carrot approach well i i, I think it's going to be problematic if that's how we're going to try and get to net zero as a country because Kind of hearts and minds won't won't be won't be with it. You know, people will kind of um, see it as a new sort of kind of 
new form of unfairness, won't they? You know, particularly particularly people on lower incomes. And I think it's much better to give people positive reasons to do the right thing. So, for instance, give them a higher standard public transport system that is and will be decarbonized over time. You know that, and then and lower cost public transport, and then say to people, right please use this rather than use your car. That's a better way, I think, of, of doing this rather than, you know, just, just hitting people with charges. Um, so, um, of course, um, a broader picture, similar picture, is, is that of climate change, um, which is obviously an enormous and pressing challenge for, for all of us. Uh, you've done a lot to encourage active travel and public transport use. Do you think it's possible reach the target of half of all journeys by foot, bike, or public transport by 2040? I, I think it's I think it's possible uh, for certain. And the reason why I say it's possible is because when I uh, look at um, people of my kids' generation, I, I don't think they are kind of planning life with a car, you know, owning a car. I think they would prefer not to uh, have one if they if they could have transport of a good enough standard to support a lifestyle without without a car. So I kind of feel that's the opportunity to get to that that figure. And you know if we can get transport right here in Greater Manchester, as I'm confident we we will, you know this will be a, a public transport system that will be kind of really easy to use. You know, it, you know it's not this is not an anti-London point, but obviously the the underground is sometimes not so easy to use, not so nice to use in the summer with the, the heat, et cetera. If you think of our trams, you know, when they're integrated with the buses and, you know, it's it's a quite effect, cost-effective way of travelling, it's also quite a pleasant way of of travelling around as well because it's easy um, and it's, it's, you know, less, I don't know, less crowded and less... Uh, uh, less hot at, 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 uh, at some times of the year. So... I mean, I, I think we can do it, you know, but, but it, it's all about just getting that offer right and starting to create a network here. I mean, we are franchising the existing bus network to begin with, but when we can begin to, to change it and create situations where the buses start to support the tram, i.e., you know, deliver people to get off a bus and jump, get on a tram and, and integrate the timetable in that in that way, that's when I think, you know, we'll we'll really see the benefits of our system uh, coming through, and we will, I think, get we will still be able to reach that uh, that challenging target that you mentioned. Mm, yeah. Okay. And um, so, kind of looking towards the future, next year is obviously a big year. It's going to be a big year for you um, and Elsa Sadiq Khan in London, both um, running for a third term, and also likely a general election. What is your priority going to be, and what would you like to see from a future government? So transport will be uh, the priority going into that election because, as you heard earlier, we will be in the middle of bringing in the B network at the 2024 mayoral election. So I will very much be asking the public to give me the backing to finish the job, uh, basically. Um, and, you know, that that means that the election is quite quite crucial really in, in that respect that I, I expect uh, there'll be other candidates who are taking a sort of uh, reverse view. You know, there's some people who criticize 
the decision that we've made and the um and you know there, there'll be a debate about public transport no doubt at the next election some people also querying net zero and and the direction of travel there so yeah i'll be ready to have that debate but i'll be ready to um you know proudly um defend what we've what we've done and what we are what what we are doing um and i i think in a helpful way possibly to get on to the second part of your question the mayoral elections of May 24 might help make public transport an issue at the general election. I think there are lots of votes to be won in this issue. <laughs> if you, you know, come forward with simple policies about cutting fares, you know, look, look at the cost of public transport in the rest of Europe. It's, it's unbelievably better value than it is here. You know, we are paying high fares, for often a poor or patchy service. And the party that commits to really bringing down those fares and improving services, I think, gets, you know, a big a big thumbs up from the from the public. There are, you know, they, they want more focus on this on this issue. That's what I've always found as mayor. Actually, whenever I've spoken about it, people are engaged on transport because it affects their lives every single day. Possibly unlike pretty much every other every other policy area, but it's kind of striking how little it features in the white in the Whitehall and Westminster. Uh, Debate. Um, I think because obviously they all travel to work on, you know, the London transport system. They think, oh, this is fine. It's quite affordable. It's all right, isn't it? But I don't think there's enough recognition out of London what what most people go through on a on a daily basis when it comes to to commuting. So I I hope that public transport might be a bigger issue at the general election. In terms of what I want from from the commitments in manifestos or from a future government. There has to be a commitment to revenue support for transport outside of London, ongoing revenue support to get those fares to a level where we can make it much more, much more affordable. Mm. Um, I would like them to commit us. I think the Labour Party have to allowing bus franchising everywhere. I, I think it should be allowed even in non-mayoral combined authority areas. Um, I would like to see um, the commitment to not just uh, public ownership of of the railway system, uh, but also, you know, a model of devolution within rail that will really support our ambitions as well. So, oh, and while I'm at it, uh, more investment in rail infrastructure in city centre Manchester, <laughs> and in particular, an underground station at Manchester Piccadilly supporting Northern Powerhouse Rail and HS2. So there's a quite a long shopping list there already. Isn't there? <laughs> We're going to need some funding. Um, yeah, because I, I think there's this sense that in the UK that um, unlike health or education, that somehow transport has to pay for itself, that it has yeah. to sort of come on a commercial model. And I know um, where I grew up in rural Somerset, the bus fares have just gone up and up and up and they're kind of reduced at the moment, but it's a temporary basis. And it's, it's just I, it's astonishing. Honestly, Laura, I mean, that we need to break out of that men mentality. And, and the reason why we need to break out of that mentality is because transport is, the prerequisite for regional growth, isn't it? You need a good functioning public transport system to get that uplift in productivity, the, the growth in the economy that you that, that, that you want to see. Um, as I was saying before, you, you can't get it without it, as far as I can see. So if, if we've got the government and, and in fact, you know, the opposition both rightly saying they want growth, you can't say that without kind of also accepting that the kind of it, it, it complete foundation for a growing economy is a functioning 
public transport system that people can afford to use. Uh, and that, that means invest, you know, finding public money to support public transport and seeing it as an investment in a growing economy. So you're absolutely right. We need to change the mindset in Whitehall of how they view transport as a policy and how the Treasury views transport. I don't believe the Treasury at all has got its thinking right on transport. Um, it, it is clear to me that you know, if you, if you want to stimulate growth in all parts of the country, you have to make transport much better and more, more affordable. This kind of short-sighted approach of just saying, well, we want to give money to health or education, so we'll starve transport. Well, that does not get you to the right place when it comes to a, you know, a productive economy. Yeah, and it's, it's kind of more of the siloed thinking that we spoke about early on. And I guess lots of people are going to be here in, in this um, today this uh, listen to this conversation because they care about transport and kind of understand its power and um and, and you know I, I care about it because of that as well because it really is so far reaching and I, um, I, I agree and though I never was a transport minister I, I I'll, I'll let you into a little secret here I once did a job not not dissimilar to yours because I started out well my very first job after leaving university was on the Middleton Guardian but it was as an unpaid job as a reporter I couldn't last in that for long so my, my next job was to work uh, on some transport magazines, um, one of them being Passenger Rail Management, the exciting, I think, <laughs> short-lived title. I'm not sure it's still, uh, it's still, uh, it's still in circulation. Um, so I, I kind of started my career a little bit in, in transport. And I did, I mentioned the Dutch before, because I did travel a lot around Holland and looked at what they were doing. And it just seemed to me then light years ahead of what we were doing. This was the mid-90s. And I did fear that privatisation of rail in the UK was going to take us in the wrong direction. And my view is it, it has done. So I, I have always had a, a kind of kind of a feel for transport and a bit of policy knowledge around it. And I've kind of had this always this sense that we've we got fundamentally trapped in the wrong place with you know a kind of unaccountable, fragmented, overpriced uh, system. Uh, and hopefully. Now we can we can turn that round and, and bring it bring it back to where it where it always should have been. Mm. The reason why I don't mention it very often is because have I got news for you? Often invite me on. They must have invited me on ten times, and I'm certain it's because they've got some of my old articles from Passenger Rail Management. <laughs> I'm sure they would make it guest publication of the week if I. Oh yeah, <laughs> where they, where they block outfits and yeah, they, uh, exactly. Uh, they, I couldn't I couldn't deal with the embarrassment of it so. Yeah, they don't give people an easy time on there, do they? No. Um, yeah, and you've got Ian Hislop. Um, so um, I've got one. I've got one final question, but I might leave it till after after the audience questions, and we've got some good ones. So I might. Um, no worries. I might ask, and I might ask because also they're they're quite relevant to what we were just talking about. So um, we have one question um, to the well-made points about transport needing to think holistically. Will the GMCA, that's the Greater Manchester Combined Authority, be pushing for suitable changes to the spatial planning system? Uh, this person is asking because the primary legislation going through currently brings opportunities for spatial planning to be refreshed, play a much more helpful role in decarbonising transport. So that was a long question with some explanations. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good question. Um, we, are, we are about, hopefully, to sign off what will be the largest spatial plan ever produced in, in England, um, which um, was called... 
Great Sorry. Answer Spatial Framework, and it's now called Places for Everyone. It involves nine of our 10 authorities. Um, and I, I can just assure the person that's, that's asked the question, we are very much linking that spatial plan to our transport plan. So we, we have places across our city region that we now are prioritizing uh, for uh, regeneration and investment. One major site being up in the north of Greater Manchester called Atom Valley, which is a huge strategic site linking Bury, Oldham and Rochdale, um, where we have high ambitions for um, advanced manufacturing and advanced materials on the site, linking to the University of Manchester and Graphene and all of, all of that stuff. But we're really clear that there has to be a high quality. If it's to work, it can't be a car-only site. It has to have, even though it's on the M60, it has to have high-quality public transport going through. So I just want to assure the question, because we've done a spatial plan, I think we are now in the in the place where we can think very strategically about the transport to support that, that spatial plan. And um, I would definitely recommend that as, as a way to go. Thank you. Um, so, um, next question is, um, I wondered what sort of opportunities you see for using bus franchising and transport devolution to strengthen transport connections across regional borders. For example, um, for people travelling from Goldbourne to Newton Le Willows. Um, <laughs> Helpful example. <laughs> I normally walk it, actually. <laughs> I, and, I'm, and I'm serious about that, I do. But anyway, that, that, that's, that, that's just me. Um, yeah, Steve Rotherham and I are talking a lot about, about this. So Steve, Mayor of the Liverpool City Region, a great friend of mine, as people know, uh, he is looking at franchising as well. I think they've just started their consultation on it. So I think within five years, it's possible to see a franchise system in both of the city regions. And we would absolutely want to collaborate on, you know, the, the, the fare system, for instance, um, but also the services that are, you know, those crucial cross cross-border services. In the short term, we will have a permit scheme for cross-border uh, services. So any operators that are running you know, cross-border uh, services will need to apply to TFGM for a permit to run a, a service alongside the B network. Uh, but in, in the long run, you could see a very much more integrated offer between uh, Greater Manchester and the Liverpool city region, and actually possibly some new types of services, um, you know, guided bus down the East Lanks or, you know, that type of thing, or maybe, you know, motorway. So rapid trans bus transit uh, between the two cities. So we, we, Steve and I are talking a lot about, about those things, but for the short term, there'll be a permit scheme to support cross-border services. Okay, so the Newton Willows person is going to be happy. Um, so, building on that cross-border transport question, is there a risk that Devo deals, devolution deals in different city regions, could make transport less integrated rather than more, especially cross-border? Ooh, um, yeah, I think I see where the question is coming from because what different places do different things, and then it's quite confusing for people. Yeah, I think there's a risk of that, but we've always been aware as mayors, that there are risks of our policies being confusing or contradictory. Um, and for that reason, you know, we do, we, we collaborate as mayors much more than we compete. So Tracy Brabin, Mayor of West Yorkshire, chairs the M10, and she chairs it brilliantly. And, and that is a forum really for open dialogue about all of the things that we're doing together. And 
and often we try and be we try and be complementary in what we in what we do. It's in a different policy area, but I'll give you an example. We we've got a great amount of good employment charter, um, which is about you know, improving improving uh, jobs. Uh, Steve has introduced a fair employment charter, um, but it's basically the same thing because we've collaborated. You know, we've changed the name, but it's the, it's the same thing because we're conscious that we can't do one thing once and a business that's operating in both says, oh, I'm being asked to do this here and that there. So that, I think, should give some reassurance that we do think these things through. And transport reform, absolutely, along that M62 corridor, as the three city regions change things, as, as we all are, we, we will want to make sure it, it joins up at the borders. Yeah, and of course, um, it makes sense to collaborate, then you're not kind of replicating the same work. And um, yeah, you can get more done. I think the truth of the matter is, you know, when we've gone through our franchising process, some of the people who've worked on it here, no doubt, will support Liverpool City Region and West Yorkshire as they as they look to do similar, and that should probably bring a, a sort of complementary approach. And um, we have a question about um, uh, gender equality in transport. There are lots of studies that show the transport system works better for men than for women. And buses is a great example because I think women take more buses, and obviously the prices then has gone up quite a lot. Um, yep. Men drive more, and they're cheaper. Um, cycling is also an example. Um, many more men than women cycle. So as part of your package of transport improvements, do you think it would be a good idea to do some work that uh, specifically ensures all improvements benefit men and women equally? I guess it's a question about equity. Yeah, no, it's it's a really um, important question. And, and I think the, the the biggest thing I would point to in relation to usage of public transport and levels of um, active travel participation amongst them, the difference between men and women would safety I think would be the um, would be the biggest issue that might lie behind those differences so obviously the segregated cycling uh, and uh, wheeling lanes that we're we're developing are you know really designed to to give people that that lifting confidence about safety from an active travel point of view. And, and Dame Sarah's story is just doing a tremendous job for us in really building out that original B network and you know, work, work continues apace on that. When it comes to safety on public transport, on buses and trams, I think we need to up our game there. We recognize that. So we've recently agreed with the Chief Constable of Greater Manchester Police that the, the public transport system in Greater Manchester will be considered the 11th district of the city region for policing purposes, to have its own structure and its own focus. The new chief and his deputy have really upped uh, the numbers of uh, people in our in our transport unit in, in Greater Manchester Police. And, and absolutely, we want to make it easier for people to kind of report uh, things on public transport via the B Network app. You know, we and we want to make sure that there's you know, a, a stronger presence on the system uh, from both GMP and, and our travel travel safe officers. So there's quite a lot of thought, thought going into that, and we recognise it's a it, it's a, a serious issue that deserves more attention than it's perhaps had in the past. Yeah, great. Um, so we've got a couple of minutes left. Um, we wanted to ask you a fun question. Uh, we know you're a big music fan, and I think there's there a nice article I think in the Times recently about you and your last gig before lockdown. Um, but uh, we were just wondering what um, three songs would be on your uh, playlist for a long train journey? Uh, well, if it's tra a train journey, 
given this given the state of them i think it would have to be uh, heaven knows i'm miserable now wouldn't it um <laughs> <laughs> or, or blue monday <laughs> yeah something like something like that I, I i i absolutely never get on a train without my without my airpods because yeah you need your, you need something to uh, to distract you I, I i don't wish to be always have a downer on the on the rail industry and i i <laughs> I definitely feel we're we're moving into a better place with them actually. So, um, but let, let's hope so. But I, I hope hope they will. Anyone on the call from the rail industry probably don't take it too personally. And also, you know, I, I think you can understand why it's not been not been the best of times for us. But yeah, we need to try and do a bit better. <laughs> yeah, need to do. Um, thank you, Andy. Um, a big thank you for uh, to the mayor of Greater Manchester for no lending your time. Um, thanks so much for, for, for being here, be here now. Um, and um, so the Urban Transport Group, before we go, there'll be more online conversations. So keep an eye out for those. But until then, thanks to everyone who joined the conversation. Thank you again, Andy Burnham. And um, No problem. Thanks to the Urban Transport Group. It's great to see policy discussions like this taking place, actually. And I think we, we need to work with you and all of the members on this call to make transport that issue, public transport and its funding, that issue at the next general election. So if we could agree on that today, Laura, I think that'd be a good point of progress on which to finish.